This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And a very warm welcome to the Total Saints podcast. I'm Martin Stark and I'm joined by our panel of guests to discuss all the highs and the lows of another week supporting Southampton. We're streaming this episode of TSP live on our Facebook and our Twitter pages and you'll also find it on our official YouTube channel as well. So if you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube, you can get involved in the conversation using the comments section. It's always nice to hear your thoughts and any questions that you might have throughout the uh, the evening. Coming up this week on the podcast, disastrous afternoon at Villa Park in the league followed a cracking win against West Ham in the cup we'll look back at both those games plus we're going to preview another big week with two huge home games the controversial rearranged Newcastle United game on Thursday and then it's Watford on Sunday afternoon well first of all let me introduce you to our TSP guests this week just the two of them Glenn has summed up what it's like to be a Saints fan the highs and the lows yeah pretty much it's been weird I think uh Overall, as fans, I think the majority wanted to prioritise the FA Cup game ahead of the league game. So I think most would have taken a win in the FA Cup and a, and a defeat in the league if, if they had to choose one or the other. And um, yeah, we just did it in a really strange way <laughs> with regards to the, you know, the, the teams we out. I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought, and I think a lot of people thought that we we might sort of like take the West Ham game in the full strength side and then and then rest a few for the uh, for the Villa game if we needed to. But uh, at the end of the day, we did it the other way around, got the results we were, you know, probably hoping for. But uh, but yeah, Wednesday was great. And uh, yesterday was a bit of a disaster. But uh, so, yeah, there yeah. you go. That, that does sum it up. I mean, we I think we came away from Wednesday, you know, and I, I joked about, you know, we're running around talking about how massive we are and we can beat anybody and it doesn't matter what team we put out and all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, as soon as you start saying things like that, life as a Southampton fan does tend to uh, come back and 
kick you squarely where it hurts. Straight but, uh, back down to earth, yeah. isn't it? Straight back down to earth. And with Steve and Dan both away this week, we don't think they're away together, but we're joined by one of our TSP patrons, Ed. Ed, busy. Welcome, Ed. Great to have you on tonight. Thank you for joining us. Just tell us a bit about your, your Saints journey in a nutshell and, and where it all began for you. Oh, crikey. I, I started sporting, sporting Saints in the early 80s uh, and I went to my first game at the Dell and was sort of mesmerised by the atmosphere and, you know, the old-fashioned days when we could smell was sort of tobacco and coffee and stale <laughs> beer. That's my memories of a sort of a 12, 13-year-old. But, uh, yeah, it... it um it, it got me that day and has stayed with me ever since. And I was a season ticket holder at the Dell and I have been ever since we've moved to St. Mary's. And uh, yeah, and I follow the club all over the place, home and away. I love the away days, perhaps not quite so much yesterday, but uh, in general, it's it's been certainly been a bit roller coaster of a ride, that's for sure. And am I right in thinking there's just the one away game that you've missed so far this, this year? Yeah, I missed the Liverpool game because it was my 50th birthday and my wife told me, are you um, going to football in a couple of weeks' time? I said, oh, it's Liverpool away. I've already got the ticket. And uh, she then told me uh, over my dead body, are you going anywhere <laughs> on that Saturday? So that's the only game I've missed uh, away this, this season, including the Cup. So, yeah, I, I do follow the club, for sure. Well, it's great to have you on. Uh, the biggest hello and thank you, of course, is reserved to our patrons, wherever you might be listening or watching this week. Welcome to episode 189 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Now, I read a few people tweeting the same thing yesterday. Um, there are plenty of worse things going on in the world right now to be too angry about a football result, for sure. But I think it's safe to say that none of us saw a 4-0 thumping coming. Glenn, where do we start with this one? What an absolute disaster. Uh, yeah, it was. There's nothing too much you can you can say about it <laughs> other than that. But delving into it, when I saw the Villa line up, and, and particularly the defence they had out, I thought, We've got a good shout here. You know, they they look a bit under strength and, you know, Callum Chambers and um, Ashley Young in the back four. I thought, you know, we'll have, a, we'll have a good go at these. But the one sort of cog that we had missing with, with Salasu missing just seemed to yeah. totally unsettle the way the way we played. And it was kind of horrible from start to finish. From the moment Villa got their first goal, you could see where the problems were. I mean, for me, the central defenders were were being too passive. They weren't pushing up. Danny Ings was dropping off. Coutinho was floating around in the in the gap between defence and midfield, which was too big because the centre backs weren't pushing up. And it and it was horrible. And Ings and Coutinho, if you if you give them space and give them time to do what they want to do, then that's what happened. And, and we never really got to grips with it. You know, I thought if we could get in at half time just the one nil down, then we'd have a chance to uh, to get back into it. But Basically, we let in three goals in near enough five minutes, didn't we, either side of half time. Mm. And and the rest of the game was a waste of time, really. I mean, it's funny Ed mentioned that Liverpool game earlier on. It was kind of similar to that. Villa got 4-0 up mm. and then then kind of phoned it in. They just were happy for us to play the ball around and and not show much penetration. I think we had the one chance with Che Adams, which he smashed and the keeper saved. But yeah, the la- the last half an hour was was kind of was kind of kind of a dead game and and we just have to learn the lessons from it and and move on and I was quite encouraged that with Ralph's interview basically sort of not not soft soaping it he he was he was pretty sure what had gone wrong and 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 what you know what the problem was so uh, you know it's the old uh, we win or we learn thing hopefully we learn a few lessons from that but the only thing that worries me slightly going forward is that Villa played a diamond midfield 
and you kind of hope that that's something we can deal with if other teams decide to pick up on that you know yeah. but hopefully other teams won't have as you know i mean like we're playing newcastle in in, in the week and um, and watford straight after that so they they haven't got any players like coutinho so uh, so hopefully it's a one off and we can uh, get it sorted from now on and Ed, what did you make of the the whole sorry afternoon? I'd imagine the the atmosphere was pretty good until about three o'clock. Yeah, um, uh, the atmosphere was excellent before the game. I think that uh, you know I've read a few things that you know I think Villa fans are saying we were the noisiest fans they've had for the first fifteen minutes, and after that it went you know only one way. It's a shame really because mm. the club have made such an effort to you know put the scarves. They, I think they sent two people up the night before to put the scarves on the seats ready for us the following day. And I think the club did really well in you know in you know talking and and, and you know making it clear our support in Ukraine. And then you just expected the the the, the you know, the, the players on the pitch to perform. And I would say that, I would just say that collectively, the midfield in particular, and I talk about, you know, War Prowse and talk about Romeo, they had their worst games of the season together mm. at the same time. Uh, Stevens was really just cut adrift. And uh, it says a lot when your keeper is voted the man of the match because it could have been a hell of a lot worse if it wasn't yeah. for Fraser Forster yesterday. He had an outstanding game, you know, as far as I, as far as I could see. And we just... We just, in fact, Villa beat us at our own game. They pressed high. They played with a very high intensity. And if you give Coutinho that room, that time, he's going to just kill you every time. They haven't got exceptional players, but you know, I'd even say that you know Danny Ings had one of his better games for Villa yesterday, but we allowed him the space and the time um, to dictate the game. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, Glenn, so Salazu and Carl Walker-Peters missing. Was it more about the two that came in or did, do you think we got the setup wrong or the mentality? Because it'd be wrong to say, well, you know, Stevens had a bit of a nightmare, but at the start of the season, uh, we were seeing oh, these it, and... Yeah, no, it, it, the, the combination of Stevens and Bednarek does not work. It's been proven not to work. The last time those two played together was against Arsenal when we got gubbed 3-0. Um, it, it doesn't work because Bednarek seems to take his cue from whoever's next to him. When when Salisu's there and Salisu is like right on top of the strikers, Bednarek does the same. He seems to, you know, take his lead from the player next to him. When, like yesterday, I, I kept seeing, if you look at the first goal, it's horrible. Him, him, and Stevens are both kind of standing off, and then they've the indecision is final sort of thing, and then they decide to go, and then you know Bednarek doesn't close. I think it's Ings down, and then Stevens gets spun by Watkins. So they they've kind of for me Bednarek takes his cue from whoever's next to him. He's not really a leader; he's a follower, and he has played well recently with Salisu. But yesterday it just it just looked horrible from the. From the first minute, I, I think um, you know Perot did all right. We know, you know we know we know he's a good player. He doesn't seem to be comfortable when he's pushed forward as a wing back. Um, it was interesting that we went to that formation in the second half and he mm-hmm. got taken off not not long into it. But I mean the horse had bolted by then. I think we were already four 0 down, so you know that didn't really make it make a difference. But um, I think your centre halves. So part of the reason we've done well recently is the centre halves have been really aggressive with their. And I don't mean just going in and kicking people. I mean you know in the way they've engage the strikers you know high up the pitch which is obviously the way Ralph wants them to play and and that that wasn't uh, that wasn't the case yesterday um I mean the only option we've got at the moment is Jan Valerie who's not been trusted to start a Premier League game as as a centre-back but it would it will be interesting to see what he um what he mm. does on uh, on Thursday you know we're playing against a, a big and we're going to talk about Newcastle later but Newcastle are going to present a different challenge their their two main strikers are a big lump in Chris Wood and St Maximan, who, as we all know, is mm. is a right handful. So we've got to get that central pairing right, or 
play with the back three if that's the way um, Ralph thinks is the best way to go against those uh, strikers. Were you surprised with the, the starting lineup, Ed, or just, you know, like me, looked at it and go, yeah, that's cool. We're going to be all right here. Um, there's nothing think, to suggest that yeah. Valerie could, should have come in, maybe. Or... I thought, I think Glenn, it, you know, he makes a very good point. I think it's Sal- it's Salasu and either Bednarek uh, um, uh, and Stevens. It's not mm. the two together. They just don't work. And uh, and Salasu is is the glue that keeps the back four together for me. Or if you're playing as a three with pushing your wing back. But I think we just were we were lacking. We looked leggy. We looked tired. We looked like you know West Ham wasn't that long ago. In fact, when Walker Peters came on in the second half, we then had a better shape to us. But it, the game was done. It was finished. I mean, Villa could just you know, coast through the game. But I, I, you can't play Stevens and Bednarik together. It just doesn't work. Mm. And I, I think I'd rather play, because I think Valerie is definitely more of a central player, whether it's midfield, whether that's defence. You can't play him out wide. He can't play there. I think we've all seen that. But he, he looks more comfortable in the middle of the park. And you wonder whether if he played Valerie and or Bednarik and Stevens, whether, that would have, whether there would have been a better balance to the back line. But mm. yeah, we looked very short of ideas and 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 every time they came forward we looked like we were in trouble honestly yeah. we really did we've talked um glenn about the the partnerships um that worked so well for us that mm. spine of the team so obviously stevens and bednarek having a bit of a nightmare yesterday but i think as ed touched on james ward prowse and, and romeo yeah. both had an off game and when prowse is pinging the free kick into the wall you know that it's just not going to be our day yeah i mean you know, we you can't expect him to hit every free kick in the top corner. Occasionally, one's gonna one's gonna clip the ball, and he's not he's not gonna gonna quite get it right. But he had a kind of anonymous game, and Romeo was having a having a shocker, and he was getting frustrated as well. And you you could see that he piled into a couple of challenges that he was never ever gonna win. And I think that's why he got he got taken off because you know I think Ralph just said Look, the game the game is done. Let's just make sure he doesn't do anything silly and uh, I know he always somehow manages to never get sent off but uh, he, <laughs> you could tell he was losing his rag a little bit in the second half and he, uh, he piled into a couple but you know I, I just think they they got dragged around and they didn't seem to get to grips with what they were doing I don't think the wide midfielders helped either you know Villa were playing a diamond through midfield mm-hmm. and Armstrong and Elianusi in particular just didn't seem to be in touch with the central midfielders and there just seemed to be huge gaps either side of Romeo and Ward Prowse for those. I mean, we really needed those two guys to be really in tight when we were defending and they just they just didn't seem to be. And Ed's probably got a better view of that because he was actually out the game, but that's how it looked like to me. So I, th- I think it was a bad day all round. Um, I don't I don't think um, Ralph will be looking at himself thinking that he perhaps got the tactics right, didn't quite adjust things as they needed to be. And, uh, you know, but we've had games like that before this season where... Y- and 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 in my, and in the main we've learned from it and we've we've done better afterwards. So you've just just got to hope that's the case this time. Was it the worst game of the season, Ed? For you, lack of ideas and goals being conceded no, at I, the wrong time. I think, like a lot of people, you know, you 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 sit you stand and have a have a beer in the concourse before the game, and we're all we all arrive full of excitement about the fact that we played we played such good football in the last you know six seven weeks, and you know and and we're all and we've been very competitive. But yesterday we just weren't competitive we glenn's made the point we actually lost the game in midfield which then invited the pressure onto our back four which wasn't capable and the shape was so bad we just looked at we just looked we didn't look the side that we've been even with the the team they put out at west ham there was no you know, there was we just seemed to have lost our shape and we lost our way 
I think we lost away from about 20 minutes onwards and we really never looked back. And then by which time the game was over, second half, and Villa just coasted through the last half an hour. You know, if they needed to score another, they could have done, but luckily they didn't want to press and, and push for another couple. So I think you just learn, you move on. Generally, I think the feeling in the in the crowd after was that, you know, we've had a good run and we've played some really good football and we we should be very proud of our team. But it was just one of those, it was just one of those days. This, you know, just there's too many players having an off day. Yeah. Nick says the past week really encapsulates what it's like to be a Saints fan. So thanks, Nick. And Vignal says, I think if Salazu isn't fit next game, we should go with Stevens and Valerie at centre-back again. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there for sure. A couple of other bits on the, the Villa game. Are there any positives to take out of it, Ed, from what you saw yesterday? Um, Fraser Forster having a great game. <laughs> uh, Fraser Forster had a good game. Um, Salazu had a good game by, oh, by not playing. Yeah, and uh, and Ralph was honest at the end. I, I don't think you can say anything other than that. I just think it was... I think that, if you know, there's been a few pictures on Twitter about, you know, the yellow and blue scars. So I think that was the, the moment for me. I think that made... I think we the club made a really good point and made an effort there. But other than that, I don't think there's anything else you can take away from that game other than that's not... That shape doesn't work. That team, that, that setup doesn't work. Yeah, and Glenn, a few people just saying, you know, it's one of those those things, bad day at the office. Got to keep it in context as well. Um, you know, it was always going to come to an end, the good the good run of form at some point. So, yeah, um, I mean, we're, we when, we're, do it more spectacularly, don't we? <laughs> when it went 4-0, I was thinking, oh, here we go again. I was thinking it's another, it's going to be another Muller in here, six or seven or whatever. But, you know, we we, we steadied it down and, and, you know, helped by Villa's lack of ambition after they went 4-0 up. But we, did, we didn't completely cave in. And uh, you know, we talk talk about Romeo piling into a couple of tackles. At least, at least that shows that everyone cares. You know, in those mm-hmm. in those huge defeats that we had, there wasn't anybody doing that. We were we were kind of you know, especially the Leicester one, we were kind of giving up, weren't we? And um, and there was there was no one who looked like they cared. So yeah. Write it off, move on. Write it off and move on. Well, we've certainly got a chance to bounce back, Ed, because like the next four games, you've got Newcastle, Watford, Burnley and Leeds. Um, not going to be easy because they're all teams to are going to be fighting to stay in the division. We'll talk about Newcastle and Watford in a bit, but um, that's probably the good thing, isn't it? We've got two games coming up now, um, a chance to, to right the wrongs pretty quickly. Yeah, and you're not going to come up against, you know, Coutinho. I mean, the guy's not really played much football in the last two years, let's be honest. Um, and, he, and, and he took his chance very well on Saturday with the space that he was given but you know let's, let's be honest Newcastle's midfield is arguably one of the worst in the Premier League and that hasn't changed just because they spent a few quid it's still a pretty poor one but they'll come to some areas very high on confidence and I think they're going to give us a real test you know and we and my understanding is that Salisu has a has a hamstring problem and and so could well sit out Newcastle and Watford so you know I think we we need to be on our game because Newcastle will become very confident for sure mm. Yeah, but we weren't the only team at the weekend to concede four goals. Uh, there were a couple of others. We were in good company. That was the the low. Let's talk about the high that was the the West Ham game. And I think we probably need to start with a bit of an apology for for Ralph. And I'm you know holding my hands up there in the ground in the team. Sheet, sheet comes through. We're texting each other. We're messaging each other. We're kicking <laughs> off on Twitter, left, right, and centre. What's he doing? What's he playing at? It's a disgrace. Um, we we got it wrong, didn't we, Glenn? Um, yes. Because the result at the end of the day justifies the means. But I got a little bit fed up with the revisionism that, you know, people were bringing up your tweets from before the game and saying, well, this aged well, didn't it? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're saying that you were happy with that team lineup at the start of the game, you're a liar. Hmm. I, I mean, a very minuscule percentage of Saints fans who know anything about the game and the squad of players that we've got would have been looking at that team lineup at the start and saying, oh, yeah, that's okay. That, that'll win. However, we played really, really well. And 
I think it was an interesting game from the point of view is I don't think there was much expectation because of the lineup that we picked. And the first 20 minutes, kind of nothing much happened. And then Perot scored that goal, which mm. is ridiculous. A ridic- another ridiculous goal. We've had a few of those recently. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, oh, hang on, we might we might actually be able to do that. You know, West Ham didn't look that good. And that certainly helped. They they were they were poor. And we, we took advantage of it. Um, we managed to throw them a goal in the second half, quite literally, with um, <laughs> Mr. Caballero making a bit of a holix of that corner. But we responded well, got back in front with the penalty and, you know, and won it in the last couple of minutes with that, with that, another ridiculous goal by, um, by Brozier, who's, by now Brozier worth, yeah. who's now worth 70 million quid. I read another million. Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, goal, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a brilliant goal and it was, I mean, the best bit about it is that he sent the cat kicker for a hot dog, didn't he, before the, um, <laughs> before rolling it into the net. You don't see many dribble past him, do you? Um, Ed, what were your thoughts when you saw that team sheet come through? Were you, you the same as us, head in your hands? I think there were, yeah, I think there was a collective sigh, wasn't there, around the whole ground. And, and you know, I think you have to be fair to fans who pay, I know it wasn't an expensive night in terms of, it was, I think it was £10 or whatever it was, a ticket, yeah. but, you know, I think people come to a game, you sell, you you have a good crowd and they, they want to see your, your best team out on the pitch. And I think that, you know, being honest, we West Ham could have been two 0 up in the first fifteen minutes if it hadn't been yeah. for Cavallari. He made a couple of good saves, and that kept. And then the worldie from nowhere, which completely changed the, the game. And West Ham looked leggy. I think they looked like they, you know, they haven't got. A, They've got a smaller squad than we have in terms of first team players, and that showed. I think, and um, we could then bring on the, the slightly bigger guns in the in the second half and wrap the game up. But I, I think we all would have taken that because I thought that was going to be a tricky game, especially when you saw. You know the lineup, but you know, did Ralph get it right? Did he was he a bit lucky? Did we ride our luck? I think we I think there was a bit of everything in that game, but yeah, you know, you're going to take it, aren't you? Yeah, and Ralph said afterwards, Glenn, it was a little bit disrespectful. I think he was talking about perhaps the way we were judging not his choices, but the players that were coming in. I'd argue that we've seen enough of them that we've kind of earned the right to be a bit disrespectful about some of them. But he certainly <laughs> used the subs well, didn't he? You know, he knew that he'd had five subs. He knew that West Ham's bench wasn't as good as ours, and he and he, he played that card particularly well. Well, the first thing I'd like to say about West Ham's bench is that it's not that they haven't got the players, it's that David Moyes doesn't trust them. Uh, if you yeah, if you talk, I've got a couple of mates who are West Ham fans and 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 they say that one of the biggest problems is that Moyes picks the same 11 regardless. They've got they've got international players on the bench like Alex Kral is an international for Czech Republic, I think, never plays. So it's it's partly, I mean, you know, Moyes obviously doesn't think he's, he's good enough, but you'd think if his players are tired, which is what West Ham fans seem to think, most of them are getting a bit a bit tired, a bit leggy. You know, you've got to trust your players. So Ralph definitely has a point. He trusts the players in, in the squad. He, well, most of them. You know, I mean, Gineppo only lasted a half and, and that was that was exactly the right thing to do. But you go Hell into enough. these FA... Yeah, you go into these FA Cup games, you've got five subs. So as long as you're still in the game at half time, you can change half of the outfield players potentially and uh, have a have a decent chance of changing it around in the second half. Now Shane Long also went off at half time, and I thought Shane was actually having a good game until he got mm. kicked. Mm. He got a knee, he got a knee in the back, I think, or something. And I noticed he wasn't on the bench against um, against Villa either. So that that one, I don't think he would have taken Shane off at half time, but. Uh, you know, Armando proved to be the difference with the did, um, yeah. with the two goals in the in the second half, and 
And uh, yeah, it, it it's worked out. But I, I agree with Ed. It's a, it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of luck, a little bit of good planning, and uh, yeah, some some good performances. I mean, I I thought Jan Valery was excellent, but he he was a bit dodgy yeah, yeah. first first five minutes. He was a little bit uh, not not quite in the right position some of the time, and uh, it it all looked like it was going to be a very long afternoon, um, especially with Antonio, who scored loads scored loads yeah. against us. Love scoring was, against us. Doesn't yeah, he, he does. Absolutely. And uh, but you know we we. We did okay. We hung in there, and in the and in the second half, we we were stronger. So yeah, happy days. And then the draw came out. Never mind. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's another. That's the conversation for a minute. Just on that lineup, though, Ed Ralph's talked about the need to have a good cup run to keep some of the fringe players happy. Which ones really stood out for you? Um, we've mentioned like Jan Valerie, but uh, anyone else put in a, a decent shift and go up in your estimations a bit? I thought the goalkeeper had a good game, apart from his mistake when he. Yeah, you know, dropped it at Antonio's feet. But apart from that, I thought he was, you know, strong. I thought, uh, to be fair, I thought Valerie did have a, you know, he did have a good game at the back. And it's nice to see him, you know, striding forward with the ball out, you know, because he's, the boy's got some pace as well, I think. I think there's a there's a footballer in there somewhere. I just, you know, I think there's a confidence issue with, with, with Valerie more than anything else. Shane Long had a good, I think, like Glenn said, I thought Shane was good until he went off, but he did get a nasty knee in the back, I think, in the first 10 or 15 minutes and struggled through the game. But, you know, I think I think there are some good fringe players, but I think West Ham allowed us to, to play. I think West Ham, and Glenn, you probably know because you've got some mates who are West Ham fans, but West Ham yeah. were poor. Yeah, they they were. were very poor on the night. And and so I think that we took advantage of that. And But, you've, you know, you, you've got to take your chances when you can. Shame the draw wasn't a bit kinder, but hey-ho. <laughs> Glenn, there's a couple of things I've written down. I've written down Willie and I've written down Balls, genuinely, on my notes. Willie, for the goal, he yeah. dropped that one, didn't he, from the corner? And that's a little bit, um, you know, he should should have probably done better there. But he kind of redeemed himself straight after. He did. He made a crack and save from, it was another corner, wasn't it? And um, mm. Dawson sort of bulleted a header at him from about mm. six yards. And uh, and that was a crack and save. He he's a good goalkeeper, but he's he does have a weakness on on corners. I don't know if you remember, he played for Chelsea in the cup semi final against us, and he got very very lucky in that game when um, Charlie Austin was stood in front of him and he dropped the ball in his own net, and the referee yes. gave him a free kick. So yeah. I think he's always had a weakness under under the high ball. He's not he's not the tallest. You know, he's not. I don't know how tall he is. He's probably about sort of six one or something, but he's not not the tallest for a goalkeeper. So I think he he does struggle. And West Ham seemed to target it because it was all left-footed corners coming in at the near post, mm. and uh, yeah, he just he just didn't look decisive when that when that ball came in. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so at that point, again, I'd gone back to no expectations mode, and I thought, oh, we're going to lose now. But uh, <laughs> but luckily, the players were a bit more uh, made of sterner stuff than me, and we got uh, we you know we we won the penalty not long after that. So uh, no, but Cavalero did his job, and he's he's a good player to have in the squad he's used to being a backup keeper he has been probably since I mean he's 40 now probably since he was about 33 he's mm. been a backup keeper at, at Man City and Chelsea so he, he's used to that role he's probably not on a huge salary for that and it honestly it wouldn't surprise me if he's still here next year as yeah, as a backup yeah, yeah. as a backup keeper because we'll you know we've obviously got issues in the goalkeeping department that we you know with basically all four of them if you include mm. harry lewis as well all four of them are out of contract so there's there's going to be some maneuvering going on there and uh yeah i i kind of half expect caballero to be around next year as well 
The reason I wrote down the ball as well, because they were talking about that afterwards, weren't they? About how it's a, is it a lighter ball, Ed? And and it, it, we've had, obviously, yeah. Stuart Armstrong's goal, which was brilliant. We might also get goal of the round for, for this time. Just, it seems it kind of lends itself to people pinging them in from outside the area. So it could make it for an interesting game in the next round. Yeah, I think Ralph said, didn't he, afterwards, that, you know, that the ball is much lighter. So um, whether that makes it easier to keep the ball and hit the top bins like they've been doing. But uh, it was an incredible goal. I mean, I was right behind when pro hit yeah. that I mean it, the minute it left his boot that was in the top corner I could, you know mm-hmm. we, we were all on our feet before it hit the back of the net so um, yeah I don't know do they practice with the ball I, I assume that they practice with a different ball for a few yeah. days before the FA Cup games yeah. Yeah. but you know it was, it was you know it was an impressive display for sure yeah I want to get both of you guys just your thoughts on Armstrong and, and Gineppo um, and where we go from there because I didn't think Gineppo had a particularly great game and obviously the, the defenders didn't know what he was going to do next but I don't think we did or or he really knew what he was going to do next Glenn do you think that's he had his chance there and I think has he blown it yeah oh I don't know he's been here is this his third season or his fourth season I think it's his third isn't third. it you've got to be you know obviously he's he's from Mali he's played in Belgian football you turn up in the Premier League it's a whole different ball game I think you get a bit of grace in your first season because it is completely new second season you've got to start doing it a little bit and by the third season, you've got if you've got it in your locker, you've got to be showing it on a regular basis. And we had this with Sofian Bufal as well, mm. where you could kind of see there was a player in there and you were just waiting for some sort of consistency. And there comes a point where you think it, it's not going to happen. I mean, Gineppo sometimes looks like an 18-year-old kid who's never played the game because he, you know, when he, when he first turned up, he was all, I'm going to take players on. That's that's all I'm going to do, and they've obviously tried to coach him a little bit to you know to play within Ralph's system, and this is how a wide player or a number ten, as as Ralph calls it, plays in this system. And he seems to have lost what he was good at, which is you know taking people on, skipping past people, and and being dangerous. I mean the end the end product was always a bit ropey, even back in those times when he was you know scoring goals. It was just as likely to end up anywhere than than it was anywhere mm. decent, but. Um, I, I do, I do f- feel with him now that it just isn't going to happen on a on a regular basis, and mm. it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's uh, if he's moved on in the summer because I think he's probably only got a year left on his um, on his contract, assuming mm. we signed him for four years at the start. Do you agree, Ed? Is that the same? Yeah, I think that we all had such high hopes for for Gineppo when he, you know, and I, he's, you know, he's he's a, he's a young lad. He's a, a player of ours, and I think we just should respect the fact that you know it's difficult coming to a different country and all of that sort of thing. I understand that, but he's got a great goal against Brighton. He's got a great goal against Sheffield United, and it looked like he was almost a, not not going to be a Mane replacement, but in that mould. But uh, I, I, my personal feeling was after West Ham that I don't think we're likely to see him again this season in in a Saint shirt. I thought he was that. I thought he was that poor. As for Adam Armstrong, Adam Armstrong is a bit, to me, a bit like Jared Bowen. Jared Bowen took two good years to settle into that West Ham team and what a player he is now. And I think that there is definitely something in there with with Adam Armstrong. You know, he's got pace. he's, He's a clever footballer. He's got a decent shot on him. I think he's got good awareness, but... I think he just needs time to get used to the Premier League and I think that he deserves the right because he'll get chances again next year because I, I think it's unlikely that Brozier will still be here. So yeah, well. there's going to be opportunities for him. <laughs> and Glenn, was it this week that Ralph said he just he works his ass off or something, wasn't he? he you know, Ralph's obviously a big fan of his. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't criticize him for effort. He's 
he certainly puts the effort in and, and he he put in a ridiculous amount of effort into that into that West Ham game. The the problem comes at the start of the season, he was shooting every single time he got the ball and it was getting blocked ninety nine times out of a hundred. And he had it, it was interesting, he got he got through and he tried to slip the ball to Will Smallbone and when he probably should have hit it. And at the start mm. of the season, he you'd definitely hit, would hit have that. hit it. Yeah. Yeah. And he tried to play it to Smallbone and, and under hit the pass, basically. And, and we, we butchered it. And that was a that was a definite chance that we uh, that we squandered in, in the first half. You know, I think I think there's a player in there. He will definitely be around next season. And, you know, he's... Well, we all know Chad Adams came up from the championship and he, he took ages, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He took ages yeah. before he started proving that he was going to be comfortable at this level. And, yeah. and I think you have to give... Adam Armstrong, uh, you know, every opportunity next season to uh, and the rest of this season to uh, to prove that he's uh, he's got what it takes. Um, Did you notice you know, that Shea Adams was stripped, ready to come on? By the way, and then he changed his mind and bought on Romeo. He was um, Adams. Was, yeah, I don't, I don't quite know. I don't quite know what happened there. I did. I did see Adams getting warmed up and that was when I saw the inflatable cat getting thrown around the um, <laughs> getting thrown around the stands that wasn't you was it that wasn't you <laughs> no no I was at the other end but uh, yeah I don't yeah. know what's going on there Ed the other thing we've had everyone we've had on the pod we've talked about the goalkeeping situation and uh, we mm. mentioned uh, Caballero there and uh, Fraser Forster having a, a great game one of the plus points at the weekend what would you like to see happen between the sticks next season in terms of contracts and, and who starts because everybody's got a, a different opinion on this mm. I, I think there's going to be a big clear out I really do and you know if, if you believe what you hear in the club and I fail to understand if they if McCarthy signed a three-year deal why they haven't announced it and what the big secret is but I, I mean at the moment I think from you know from where I stand the people just around me uh, if there was a choice you keep Fraser Forster and you get rid of Harry and you get and you get rid of McCarthy and you bring somebody else in but of course Forster doesn't want to play second fiddle to anybody so you know I go after Henderson I think in, in the in the in the summer or somebody like that I don't think the West Brom keeper is up to it personally I don't think he's any better than what we've already got uh, we are Southampton so we're never going to get the cream I know but it, it is a worrying position because I think Forster's had a really good six weeks by the way but we also know that his confidence is very fragile it doesn't take much to to send him back you know to a guy who comes out with these enormous hands flapping at everything so it, it's a really difficult one and I wouldn't want to be I wouldn't want to be in Ralph's position having to make that decision frankly but I have a feeling that the McCarthy's already signed and so Forster yeah. will go, Lewis will go, and there'll be another another keeper coming in. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where we're going to have to trust them, I think. Let's move on to Newcastle, Glenn. The game that's been, I'd said, controversially rearranged. Uh, it's going to be a very different game to the one that, that would have been back at the, the start of the year. Yeah, but I mean, we're better as well. There's, there's no point in worrying about it or bringing it up, to be honest. It's, it's gone. All their new players are going to be able to play you know, it's it's. There's no real point in uh, thinking that's an issue. We just got to play what's in front of us and uh, and get on with it. Really, Eddie Howe. I've never been a fan. You know, as a manager, I think he was sort of praised for doing great things at Bournemouth, and on the face of it, he did. But some of the financial stuff going on at Bournemouth, and um, I do, um, I do, I do wonder. I think he had the cards stacked in his favour, sort of thing on uh, on a lot of things, especially when they were in the Championship, and he and he got them promoted, but. He's done very, very well, and you have to give credit where it's due. He's hurts, doesn't it? Though, <laughs> uh, not, not really. Um, as I said, the only I think I've said before, the only team I've got any sort of affinity towards, apart from Saints, is Newcastle because my grandfather's from there. But uh, so you know, I don't didn't necessarily want them want them to go down. I mean, the 
the whole Saudi takeover is is obviously you know, it is what it is. It's a little bit uh, it's a little bit dodgy, but as as we are as we are seeing in the news, <laughs> the Premier League does love its uh, dodgy owners with its money that come from questionable places. So, um, but they're, they're here. We're playing them on Thursday night. They've signed a couple of players in the transfer window, who on the face of it aren't great. You know, like mm-hmm. Dan Byrne, Matt Target. If we if we sign them people wouldn't be getting excited about it, but they've improved Newcastle's team. But the main thing that Eddie Howe has done that he needs to be praised for is that he's raised the levels of the existing players mm. that they've got there, the likes of mm. Fraser, Jalinton, <laughs> John Joe Shelby. Um, all, all these players are playing a lot better than they were under Steve Bruce. So mm. that's, and yeah. Newcastle have a belief now that they can, um, you know, that they can win games. They've won a few, they're playing with confidence. I think they're, is it something like seven unbeaten? So yeah, five, five wins in six games, I think. Yeah, um, and they're they're a handful up front with um, you know on a, I don't think Chris Wood scored yet, but he is a you know he's a bit of a mountain. He's a he's a tough player to play against, and you know we have to be more aggressive with our defending against him. We can't just stand off and and let him have the ball because that'll just that'll just cause endless problems. Um, of course, it was. Two all back in August, wasn't it? We needed that James Wall Prowse penalty in the ninety sixth minute and missed at the season, of course, from from Gineppo in that game. I think wasn't it? It's yeah. going to be a, a very different game, isn't it, Ed? This time round. Yeah, I think it is. And what Glenn's missed out is that Kevin Friends the referee. So uh, <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to upset you, Glenn, but just uh, okay. drop that Kevin Friends. <laughs> Kevin Friends, all right, unless you're playing one of the one of the big real big boys and then he's a nightmare but I'm not I'm not too worried about Kevin Friend in this particular game but if we were playing you know if he was refereeing our Man City Cup game for example you might as well not turn up <laughs> I think that um, I think that some of the um, you know so I think what, what Glenn said about Eddie Howe's right I'm not a big fan of Eddie Howe's for, for all sorts of reasons but I think that the way he's used especially Joel Linton who just didn't he just didn't look a player at all for the amount of money they paid for him but yeah. they pushed him back into midfield he looks a completely different player and, and they've got you know they've got some stability. They they've got some trucks at the back to stop the goals going in. Look, look I don't think um, you know, I don't think we should be worried about them. But if we no. played like we did on Saturday, if we played like we did on Saturday, then we need to be worried because you know they'll they'll come full of confidence and they'll bring the game to us. And and that's our, that, that's how we like it. We like to sit back and hit people on the break. So as long as we can get our key players back. You know, it'd be nice to you know put a couple past Eddie Howe and put that one to bed. Yeah. Does it depend on the the injuries, Glenn, and and, and who starts at the back and, and and who comes in for that? Do you think Ralph might change things around a bit? Because there was the the argument that you're you're not going to change a winning side. Then all of a sudden, a couple of injuries, bit of a hammering at the weekend. Maybe that's a, a a reason to to make a couple of tweaks. Yeah, I think if Salasu is fit, he will obviously come straight back in, and they will we will go with the flat back four like we normally do. Um, if Salasu is not fit, I can see us playing perhaps going with three at the back and probably Elianusi will drop out and we'll, we'll, mm. we'll, we'll do it that way. But uh, I don't uh, I don't know enough about the way Newcastle play. I mean, Eddie Howe has always been a pretty standard 4-4-2 type of manager. So, yeah. uh, it, you know, it's, it's whatever Ralph thinks is the best system to, to play against that. But if Salas is fit, I'm very confident that we'll win this game. Um, if he's not, there are question marks because it's we're going to have to somehow adapt the way we play. If we go in... I mean, I personally think if we go in with a with a flat, flat back four with Stevens and Bednarek again, then we deserve all we get. To be honest, yeah. but but after the um, after the West Ham team selection thing, what do I know? <laughs> what do we know, Ed? Who starts for you on uh, Thursday night? What would you be doing if um, if Salisu's fit? He'll start with either Stevens or Bednarek. Probably Bednarek because that's Ralph's favoured 
pairing. Although I would say that earlier in the season, Stevens was brilliant with Salisu. So you can play either of those together. You want to have, I still think that we look better balanced with Walker Peters and Perot personally. Livermento's not been the same player since he's been injured, I don't think. And I don't think he played well again on Saturday. It worries me that he's still carrying a bit of a niggle. If Salisu's not fit, I, I, someone made a comment here earlier. I think Nick made a comment about playing Valerie and another. Yeah. Well, Valerie played very well in the cup against Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season and was very commanding at the back. Uh, and maybe that's an option, but, you know, I'm not yeah. Ralph, so who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Predictions then for this one could be interesting. Feel free to stick your predictions in the comments, by the way, if you're watching live. Um, Glenn, uh, needless to say, I think we got the West Ham one right. We all got the win, but not necessarily the score. I don't think anyone predicted that we'd get turned over 4-0 at the weekend. So no surprises there, really. So uh, I think it's uh, status quo as was. Prediction for the, the Newcastle game first, Glenn, on Thursday. Bearing in mind... I don't think Salas is going to be fit. I've got no medical training or, <laughs> or any prior knowledge. Um, I don't think he's going to be fit, so I'll go for a one-all draw in that game. Okay. Uh, Ed, yeah. how do you see this one playing out Thursday? Yeah, I see it's a draw. I think it's going to be a 2-2, something like that, two-all draw. Yeah, that's what I think, I don't, I, I, especially if Salas is not fit. Yeah, okay. Two games as well coming up. So Watford mm. next on Sunday at two o'clock, a one nil back in October. It was Che Adams with that brilliant goal. It's been a bit mixed, hasn't it, Glenn, for them? I mean, they beat Villa, but they're not in a great run of form. Lost as well again at the weekend. Um, yeah. What sort of game are you expecting on Sunday? Just a bit of a, a turgid affair? I think if what if we allow Watford to dictate the game, it will be a turgid affair there. Mm. You know, they've got Roy Hodgson as manager now who will get them organised, but they don't have much quality, especially in defence. So there will be chances there. The lad Emmanuel Dennis up front looks like a handful. And if Ismail Assar is fit, he can be decent as well. But he struggled in the away game up there this season and he, he just didn't get a kick and he got very frustrated very early and he, he was rubbish after that. Mm. So Sissoko in midfield can be decent but I think he I don't know how old he is he seems to have been around forever he he just seems to be a little bit leggy he used to be this very sort of powerful player striding through midfield but he, he doesn't seem to be as certainly as good as he was and if he was then you know the likes of Tottenham wouldn't have got rid of him so yeah. uh, so I, I don't think they have the quality Hodgson will have them organized first goal will be vital in this game if we concede the first goal it might be a real struggle because of the way that Hodgson will have them organized but um I I, w- I would hope this will this will pan out like the you know the two recent home games we've had against Everton and uh, whoever it was we beat 2-0 the other week <laughs> um Norwich, yeah, I, I, I can see it sort of panning out like that game, and uh, I'll, I'll go for a, a relatively uh, hard-fought but comfortable two-nil win. Um, Ed, do you think it depends on what happens on Thursday night and and how that goes and who's fit and momentum taking that into the game on Sunday? It's a it's a difficult one. I watched the um, I watched the Watford Arsenal game today, and three-two was very flattering on Watford. If Arsenal had taken their chances, they would have won that five. I mean, they were cut open every time Arsenal came forward and, and Arsenal play quite a high press move the ball quickly which we do mm. what, you know, once you've got James Ward-Prowse and, and, and Romeo you know in the middle of the park dictating the game so it's going to be a, it's, to have so many games in, a, in the space of a short uh, he's going to Ralph will do his usual thing, which is play around with the team. So, you know, we, we never would have predicted the lineup for West Ham. Well, we're unlikely to predict the, predict the lineup for, for, for Watford. I would suggest to you that it will be the, if he puts a stronger team out, it'll be Newcastle. And then you'll see what happens after Newcastle in terms of what he puts out against Watford. But we should be, we should be strong enough to win that game. I think probably 2 0 is a 
probably the right, you know, it's probably is what, yeah, what it will probably end up being. A couple of two nils. Let's hope so. Interesting thing to finish. We had an email from um, from Dave Melton, who joins us. He's a, joined the Francis Benali tier this week. And he says, I've been listening to the pod for a while. Love all the info it provides. Being in the States, most of the coverage focuses on the Manchesters and the Liverpools of this world. So it's nice to get a Southampton-focused show every week. And Dave says, I'm making my first trip to St. Mary's for the Watford match and wanted to pick your brains about anything I should know, do, whatever, on a match day. So um, as people that have been attending games for a while, Dave's after hints and tips for match day. I came up with avoid Yates's like the plague. Get there early to soak up the atmosphere because it's been a lot better recently maybe a trip to O'Neill's for a pint afterwards and, and use the footbridge so you come in over the railway line because I think it's a better approach is there anything that anything else that you would add to that Glenn what's don't your wear, <laughs> don't wear a blue shirt <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know really but I'm probably the wrong person to ask because my my match day doesn't have doesn't really involve anything other than a bit different now these days travel walk to the great yeah because you know got me got my dad with me so i'm either gonna go and drink 15 pints before the game or whatever but uh it all, it all depends on what you know what sort of person it is i mean i i dare say that with um with having traveled from america he's keen to do as much around the actual hmm. you know the actual club and the uh you know you'd be wanting to go and go to the club shop and all that sort of stuff and uh, you know do the stuff that that centers mainly on the on the football rather than rather than the socializing but uh, I don't to be honest I'm not you know I'm not really I walk past the um the, the pub on uh, is it called the Chapel Arms now you know I walk past that yeah. on the way and that always seems to be sort of crammed full of people so that might be a place to to pop in if you walk past it but if you come from the other direction then uh, um, I don't really know which uh, which pubs are the uh, the match day ones that people go to but uh, we were talking yeah. about the atmosphere yesterday Ed as well at the away game but um, they've certainly done a lot with the home games now with the you know Friday night under the lights is a cracking atmosphere I expect the same on Thursday mm. and uh, obviously you've got the the fan zone thing they put in in the car park it's certainly a lot better isn't it something they focused on this year yeah I think the Saints brass thing I think the club were waiting yes. to do there needed to be something didn't there at the beginning yeah. of the game that just got people going and I think Saints Brassing has, has continued and uh, is a really good addition and I think people are really bought into that and so that's really good and you know the fan zone's not been open I think there was some damage during the wind you know when the, when we had the storms the other week so that hasn't really been open as much but we've not had that many Saturday three o'clock kickoffs either so it's been a bit difficult but I would say you know if he's coming over from America it's a long way to come Browns I think Browns is down in St Mary Street a lot of mm-hmm. the Saints um, Saints following go there for a drink before the game i said you know i i'm a member at the gas works which sits under the itch and he's more oh, than welcome yeah, yeah, to come yeah, in there yeah. we're happy to happy to buy him a pint in there before the game a, a american chap came over a couple of weeks ago for the norwich game and he came in and we bought a pint and, you know he he uh he got into the spirit of it all so there's there's plenty to do just take in the city enjoy the atmosphere you know it's a good club Although Nick makes a good point about not being able to take a beer to your seat. That might be uh, a bit of a, <laughs> a shock for anybody. <laughs> well, well, if you've been to if you've been to if you've been to Twickenham like I was last Saturday, you'd say you're really pleased that people don't take a beer to their seat because it was up and down, up and down every five minutes. And you know, that's not much fun. So it's not all bad. No, that's true. But it feels like we've had an interesting week um, of ups and downs and we've got a really big week coming up and a chance to um, put the weekend's result to bed. So let's hope that this time next week it's all for the positives. And um, Before we finish tonight, a massive shout out to our loyal and much-loved patrons in the Matt Tizier tier. We've got Cole Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Phil Cook, Nick Kingston and Ed, who's with us now. So thank you, Ed. Thank you for your support. Uh, in the Francis Benali tier, we've got Nick Reed, Matt Hall and Dave Melton, who we've just mentioned. Uh, to find out more about becoming a TSP patron, 
patron and all the benefits that come with that you can check out the website uh, cheers glenn nice to have you back and thanks ed right. thanks for enjoy uh, thanks for joining us this week was it uh, was it how you thought if you enjoyed it yeah thanks for having me it's been really good uh, nice to nice to meet glenn face to face and yourself and you and, and, and yourself <laughs> Glad you got out of the shower in time, Glenn. That's the most important. Yeah, that's thing. the most. We haven't had any of that. Dan's speaking as a neutral rubbish. We haven't had any of that this week, which has been quite nice. No. Come back, Dan. Neutral. We love you, Dan. Honest. Uh, don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening on the socials. It's at Total Saints Pod. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can also drop us an email, um, like Dave did, via the website. Um, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Let's hope to uh, be celebrating a couple of great wins this week, and we'll see you again at the same time next week away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.